out to him this morning. Amen. We just want to take the time to enter a spirit of worship. Amen. And just lift our Savior up. Give him the praise that he deserves. Amen. Amen. Let's sing this song together. Amen. How great is our God, the splendor of our King, Key of F. The splendor of a King.
Above all names, sing it again. Our God, oh, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. Let's sing this again now. together for Jesus this morning. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's sing this song together. In Christ alone will our glory. Key of G, please. In Christ alone will our glory. Though I could pride myself in battles won. For I've been blessed beyond measure, and by His strength alone I overcome. Oh, 
I could stop and count successes like diamonds in my hands. But those trophies could not equal to the grace by which I stand in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory and power on the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. Christ alone do I glory, for only by His grace I am redeemed. Only His tender mercy could reach beyond my weakness to my need. And now I seek no greater honor than just to know Him more and to count my gains but losses for the glory of my Lord. In Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory and power My source of hope is Christ alone, in Christ alone, alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the Deserve the glory. You deserve the glory and the honor. Oh, we lift our hands in worship as we.
top now. Oh, I just want to be where you are. Dwelling daily in your presence. Oh, I don't want to worship from afar. Hallelujah. Draw me near to where you are. desire, man. I pray it's your desire too, friends. We'll worship Him together in glory someday. Amen. We're going to change order of our service at this time. Musicians could play that softly, please, as we take our special needs to the Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask Brother Mark Sylvester if he would come forward and take these needs to the Lord for us. Amen. If you'd remember Brother Joel in prayer. This morning he's needing a touch in his body. Amen. Special need for Brother Joel. I want to remember the Cockman family who are not with us. Also the Irish family. And uh, Brother Keith is also not with us today. If you remember that family in prayer. Um, continue to remember Brother Richard and uh, Sister Mary Smith in prayer. Amen. God would bring them back to our assembly. And, uh, they've had a rough time. So we want to remember them in prayer. We miss them hearts go out to them. Amen. Remember the Cross family. Not feeling well today. I want to keep Brother Joe Paschal in our prayers. Him and his family are not with us today. It was such a blessing to see him. Amen. My, just so encouraging to see what God's brought him through. Amen. Remember him in prayer. Special need this morning for Brother Mike Pritchard's uncle. Amen. His name is uh, Donald Arrowwood. He's expected to be passing away at any time now, so the family is with them. Amen. Remember them in your prayers in their time of sorrow. Amen. That's all I have for the mark if you would come. Do you have unspoken prayer requests? Amen. God sees that special need on your heart, friends, and we're going to pray with you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we are, Lord, excited 
to be in your house this morning, Lord, excited because, Lord, we know that you have something good for us, Lord. We, with great anticipation, Lord, we, we look forward to the, the bringing of your word, Lord, that would bless us and help us, Lord, along this journey, Father. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. We love you, Lord. We, 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 it's such a privilege, Lord, to serve a God, Lord, to, that cares about us and, and love us, Father. And we thank you, Lord, with all our hearts for all the many blessings and the benefits, Lord, that you've given us, Father. And, Lord, we bring these requests before you, Lord, for Brother Joel, the needs and healing touch, uh, the Cockmans and the Irishes and Brother Keith that's away, and the Cross family that is sick, Lord, we pray that you will touch him. Brother Richard and Mary Smith, Lord, uh, we haven't seen them for a while, Lord, but we pray that you will bless them, Lord. They're always in our thoughts. And these that are missing, Lord, we pray that you will bless them. Lord, Brother Mike Holloway, we pray you will bless our brother, Lord, and touch him and, and heal him, Lord, and, and the, the things that he's going through, Father. Pray, Lord, for Brother Pascal. It was good to see him last week, Lord. What a wonderful testimony, Lord, you've given him, Father, of your, your healing grace, Father. We, we thank you for that. Lord Jesus, we bring before you, Lord, our neighbor. Um, we pray for him, Lord, Donald Harewood, that you'll touch him, Lord, and give him uh, grace in the, this morning. And that the family, we pray you'll be with them, Lord, and, and help them, Father, uh, through this time that they're going through, Lord. Good people, Father, and we thank you for such good neighbors. We pray that you'll bless them. Lord Jesus, we look forward to the coming of your word, Lord. We pray that, Lord, that you will exceed our expectations this morning, Father, of what we have need of, Lord. We pray that you will come in your, your sovereign grace, Lord, and even things maybe that we've heard before, Lord, we pray that you will uh, give us a, a deeper revelation of what you're saying, Lord. It will help us and bring forth fruit in our lives that will be pleasing to you, Father. Bless the preacher, Lord. We pray that you will help him get himself out of the way, Lord, and speak to us, Lord. Uh, lip to ear, Father, and uh, that we be blessed by the coming of your word. Grant it, Lord. We commit the rest of the service into your hands. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue in this mode of worship, Amen. I know our Heavenly Father is pleased with your praise and worship this morning, Amen. Let's sing that song. Oh Jesus, your name is power. Jesus, your name is mine. Jesus, your name will break every strong. Jesus, your name is life. I love this one. 
that song are so powerful and so true. Amen. Let's sing this song together. I give my mind completely to you. I give my mind completely to you, Lord. Fill me with your thoughts. Make it all brand new and change my life. Let me live in all that's true. I just want to be like you. So Deacons to come forward. 
take our morning offering. Amen. I had a, a thank you note from the Sister Faye Gragg's family. Just wanted to read this to the church. It says, Thank you all for your prayers during the passing of my mom, Sister Faye Gragg. Thank you for the flowers, the cards, the calls, and the love. She's reached her goal and final reward. Amen. The Faye Gragg's family. Amen. Amen. Our hearts and minds go out to them. Amen. Sister Faye Gragg was just a a staple of this church, a pillar for a long time, amen, and we'll miss her, amen, but we know she's in glory, amen, where we'll meet her one day. Amen. Brother Jeff Jackson, lead us in prayer, please. Amen, amen. As our pastor comes, and let's sing this song together, Draw Me Close to You, amen, and you just reach out to the Lord, amen, and Just pull on the gift this morning, amen, and get what God has in store for you, amen. Let's sing this together. Draw me close to you. Find the way 
take their places there today. Welcome to the house of the Lord. It's certainly an honor to be here uh, gathered together and good to have everybody. Good to have you all uh, looking so nice and uh, gathered together. Caleb, good to have you back. God bless you. Good to have you here today and uh, each and every one. We uh, don't know all the names, but uh, we're always honored to have you with us. Good to have the drums uh, here tonight. We know, we know their names. Uh, that's for sure. We uh, we're just uh, in expectation. I think every time the bride gathers, we're uh, we're thankful for that opportunity. We won't always have the opportunity like we have it today, but uh, we're thankful for this time we have. Uh, let's do a couple of uh, housekeeping chores here. First of all, uh, this afternoon, let me re- uh, remind you this morning, let me remind you this afternoon we have our uh, meeting, and this was, uh, again, if you didn't read the update, uh, our Sunday school class uh, that I have from ages 13 and up. We were going to meet today with the boys, not the girls, but the boys. And uh, when I got into it, I realized this is good for any man, so. All of you brothers are welcome if, you, if you're able to attend. If you're able to stick around and attend, we'd like to have everybody here. Uh, if you can't make it, I certainly understand, but uh, it'll, it'll be about an hour or so, and we're going to do a, a lesson uh, this afternoon. Probably not going to record it, uh, but we will do that this afternoon at 3.30, and it'll be right here in the assembly. We're going to start uh, sharp 3.30. Uh, couple of birthdays, uh, April 21st, John Cockman had his birthday, and I missed that. It was John's 47th uh, birthday. He's not here today. April 23rd was Sister Emily's birthday. God bless you, Sister Emily. Uh, it's one of, the, one of the consequences of hanging around here. You get your name on the birthday list, whether you like it or not. But we are glad you're with us, and may God have blessed you on that day. April 25th is Anderson Pritchard's birthday. Anderson, how old are you? Anderson, how old are you? They're, they're pointing this, this way, down there in the pew. How old are you? Eleven years old, really? God bless you, Anderson. Good to have you with us. And then April 27th is an Ingemaza's anniversary, right? How many years? Two years. That's wonderful. That's just great. We are delighted to have you with us today and all the family. And uh, just let's, while we're there, let's go to Zimbabwe 
together. This is uh, Zvishish, Zvish, say it, Brother Aaron. Yeah, that's it. I had it, I had it, and I said it in my office, and I said it at home. And then you get here and you can't say it. This is a little community that's near Zambia, the border uh, of Zimbabwe and Zambia. I'll show you a map in just a second so you can place that. And uh, Brother Aaron sent us this picture because they were, we were giving out Bibles there uh, through the ministers. And uh, these are uh, some of the pictures here the people are receiving uh, their Bibles and, and having their own for the first time. And so they're, they're excited about that and very uh, delighted to have that. And uh, this is the, the area right here uh, over on the, um, over where you can pick out uh, Zimbabwe. And then right above it is that uh, blue, bluish, greenish uh, country of Zambia. So on that border uh, is right where uh, those Bibles were given out. In this area called Chahota, uh, which Brother Aaron's been telling us about, and, and we've also uh, given up Bibles there as well. Uh, they did. They, they. This is where they meet. Let's put this picture up here. This is where they meet. And this is their church. It's under a tree, and they were meeting in a home, and right, and and then it, it began to grow because you know people were coming in and more people were hearing about the message and so it began to grow. So they they moved outside of a house because homes there generally are not so large, and so they're under a tree. Uh, there. <clears throat> and so the first picture that I showed you uh, was the young people that were standing against the wall. That is like a temporary shelter that they built so they can meet together and be out of the sun and they can have a regular setup in their own, uh, their own land. So in this community of Chahota, somebody, some family member uh, gave or sold some land to the church and so this is that group now out in the field clearing it this week, and they're out clearing the land, and they're, they're going to build a shelter uh, like that one in this part of the, the uh, town, this part of the village, so they can have their own place, and uh, it'll be a permanent, permanent temporary structure. So am I making sense? They're going to have their own permanent temporary structure, uh, that will be there until they build their own church. And so they sent an estimate of materials. And even though you can't really read these numbers here, that's $1,300, $1,378 that they have. That will be the, the amount that it requires to, uh, to, to complete that structure. So I think that's pretty good. I think that's a pretty worthy cause. And so uh, today we're, we're going to give Brother Aaron uh, that check, and then he uh, uh, conveys that over. He can do that because he's a citizen of Zimbabwe. If I did it, it would be a fistful of fees, but he can do it because he's a citizen, and we can convey that money over there today so that tomorrow when the funds are released, they can, uh, you know, they can begin to purchase these materials and they can go to it, but they're already excited about doing that. So... Uh, we're just we're just really delighted. I'm also delighted to announce to you that we're going to, Lord willing, we're going to have a men's meeting this year, September 24th to the 26th. So mark the date, and uh, we're going to have a limited amount of people. So it's only going to be a 
smaller group than what we normally have. Uh, we'll let you know when the registration opens so that uh, you can be a part of that, and uh, that will be uh, that will be good for us to be able to get away for that particular weekend. So we're looking forward to that. Um, <clears throat> we're also delighted too. Uh, Joey's here. Joey, wave your hand at us. Joey Mail is here. Joey <laughs> came through the surgery just fine, helped his parents to get through it, and uh, got through fine. I talked to him just before he went into the operating theater, and he's just doing real good today. So we're glad he's with us today. Appreciate your prayers and your concern. A uh, little bit of sad news. Uh, the Irishes are not here today. Uh, Brother Andy is a ways up with his family up in uh, Connecticut. And uh, he went up there because of the concerns that he had about his mother. And uh, his mother is 77 years old, and she's been failing in health, and he's noticed it, and the family's noticed it, and they were not really very sure uh, what was actually going on. But Brother Andy drove up with Sister Jen, and the kids today are with the Cockmans, but uh, Brother Andy and Sister Jen drove up on Friday and made the journey to be there with the family and got there. They brought her to a hospital. She got evaluated. And unfortunately, she has an inoperable brain tumor. And so they committed her, uh, and they're in the process of doing this weekend to commit her into hospice care, so they're not going to attempt to treat it. Um, So Brother Andy and Sister Jen are going to be there until Tuesday, and then they'll be coming back. Uh, I know what that's like to get the news that your mom has an inoperable cancer. And uh, I encouraged Brother Andy. I said, you know, we'll kind of rally around your uh, positions here, and we want him to be able to go and spend as much time as possible with her uh, in the days ahead. And uh, we're going to try to do everything we can to make arrangements for that and to help them to do that, and for the family also to be able to go and, and be there. But that's always hard news, and uh, we sure want to hold them up in prayer. And uh, over these uh, couple of days now, they're making plans and all the changes that go on and, uh, you know, getting things uh, getting things uh, established up there. So uh, we sure would ask you to remember Brother Andy in prayer. And I uh, communicated with him this morning, and uh, we sure, sure do miss them. But he already said that he felt so grace, grateful for the concern and the prayers that have been shown and we we want to continue to do that because that's a that's a tough thing sure is so um i want to say it's nice to have sister sarah here uh today and uh, for all of you that are guests and visitors well i think that takes care of it we can go into the word is that all of our announcements today i think that's all of our announcements wait there's one more just one more We had a wedding here. We need a wedding here in the assembly. We are delighted and we're uh, blessed. And for Lucas and Haley, God bless you both. And special people among us. And may the Lord richly bless them and their planning and uh, all that all that happens now and all that kicks in the gear. And uh, they're able to sit together in the sound booth now. So. <laughs> I don't know if they arranged this so they'd be in the sound booth or not together, but uh, they're there. 
So, let's stand to our feet. Good to have the Swaffords here uh, today. Ezekiel chapter 43. We're going to go there and we're going to ask you to put something in there because we're going to come back to it, Lord willing. If we can, we can possibly do it. We want to get back there. I'm not trying to run a marathon here today. Uh, I just had a lot of things that were on my heart. And uh, I was going to take the Wednesday night service I was going to speak about and bring that this morning. And then just, you know, things, things developed as they did. And uh, I realized a long time ago I'm not the one who's in charge. So I don't get to call the shots here. But in Ezekiel chapter 43, I'd like to read something here and talk about the law of the house, part two. Part one was back in 2020. And I came back across this uh, through this week and reading and studying the scripture. And uh, it re- something really caught my attention here. I was just uh, reading through this on my own. And I want you to notice in verse 10, Thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. And if they be ashamed of all that they have done, show them the form of the house and the fashion thereof and the goings out thereof and the comings in thereof. In other words, the exits and the entrances to this house and all the forms, the way it's built, all the ordinances thereof. That word ordinance there in the Hebrew, it means Torah. So let the people see the Torah, or the word of the Lord, that God gave, and all the forms thereof, and the laws thereof, and write it in their sight. Write it down, that they may keep the whole form thereof. Write it down so they don't forget it. They don't misinterpret it. And all the ordinances thereof, and do them. So, son of man, I'm giving you the the description, the forms, the ordinances, the laws, the, the measurements. I'm giving all that to you so that you can write it down. And then you can write it down and tell them and then give them the written copy and do it. So it's not just good enough to have it. You need to have it and do it. Right? This is the law of the house. Upon the top of the mountain, the whole limit thereof, Roundabout shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated today. <clears throat> when, I, when I first talked about this in part one, you'd have to go back and wade through the archives to find part one, and I went back over the notes of part one, I talked about family, the law of a house. Every house has, every house has an order, and our natural order in our homes is different as we go from house to house, right? Uh, you know, I, when I look around, look around your house, like, for instance, you know, Brother Caleb over here, he would live very differently than, say, the Buchanans live. Right? Uh, they, I mean, this is it's quite a contrast. And then you go around the room here. None of you live like we do. Like the Menards here. 
they live in virtually a tent with solid walls, right? I mean, it's just a little place that they have temporary, a temporary permanent place that they have. And uh, so the order of their house is quite different than the order of another house. And, and that's okay because we all come from a, uh, you know, a collection of weird people who uh, grew, we grew up together and you take this, this side and you take this side over here and you merge them together and that becomes a new thing. That's the way it's meant to be. We talked about the law of the family and we talked about, you know, the law of, uh, the laws that govern how families should operate, the, pr- the principles and the, uh, the, the ordinances that God have, has given us through the scripture in, in helping us to know how to live. Brother Branham's family and the way that they lived was very different than most people. How they took their vacations and how they, how they went from day to day in their affairs was very different than most other families. As a matter of fact, there are things about his way of life as a family you would not want to emulate. You would not want to have to live that way. You wouldn't want to have insane people locked up in your basement. And you would not want to have to take your kids while they're asleep at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning and try to steal away in your car to get a little vacation. Then to find out that there's three or four cars following you of people who just want to keep their eye on you. It is a very different, very different place, and that's all different. There are principles that apply. There are timeless principles that apply uh, that we find in the Scripture. But I, in a sense, I kind of missed the point. I, I missed the greater point, and the deeper point, if you want to say it that way, and I want to deal with that. But I do want to underscore, go back and underscore the fact that God is very interested in what happens in your family and in your home. God's very interested in the order that you have, and he's interested in the relationships that exist under that roof. He's interested in how you treat one another. He's interested in how you raise your children, because you're raising the next generation of people who will be possibly believers and leaders and Preachers and preachers' wives and missionaries and all the other things that God has designed. God is, you know, God's idea is this family. God's idea is to structure it this way. Brother Branham muses on this. He reflects on this. And he says in the message in 1964, he said, I hear these young fellows testifying of their faiths that centered in Christ. And he said, I'm getting old. And one day, uh, he said, I, I've, I've got to quit and go home. Now, Brother Branham, this is in 1964. He's born in 1909. That puts him in his 50s, right? And, uh, you know, for Brother Branham, when you cross 50, that, that constituted old age because that's, uh, that's an Indian tradition. And as I told you before, Indians believe, American Indians believe, uh, teepees, not dots, but the, the American Indians believe that when you cross 50, then you enter into the old age group uh, of your community or, or of your tribe. And, and that's why Brother Branham always referred to that, because he had Indian blood in him not too far back. And so he said, I'm getting old now. The, the, the water's turning. The cycle's turning. That's the way life is laid out. One generation will move up, father and mother. They raise their little ones and see them marry, and the grandchildren come along. And after a while, down goes daddy and mommy to the dust. And then by that time, the children then is ready for grandchildren, and on we go. And that's, that's the way that God's got it laid out. I'd like to pause here and just say this, that Brother Aaron and I were talking on the phone yesterday, and I'd like to begin to adopt 
a tradition that is inherent in Africa and specifically in, in Zimbabwe. And that is this, that when uh, the children grow up, get married, and move out, then the grandparents have the right to take one of the older grandchildren into their home as their own. Now, I like that. I, I bought into that. I signed up for that right away. And I'd like to start that today. We did everything we could to try to bribe and coerce and uh, keep our, our kids at home. We're not, we're not a, a people, we're not a couple without a family. So I just want to put everyone on notice that we are working on this process now and drawing up the papers. Now, it's not a permanent thing. I understand that, you know, when the kids get a little bit older and they, they grow up, they go, you know, they, they go back to their parents, but then they take a younger one and they... They bring him in, and, and so it's a constant thing. I'm, I, I just want to say amen to that, and some of you may find that funny. I'm dead serious about this. <clears throat> but Brother Branham is telling us that that's the way life's laid out, and you really don't have a choice. Your choice only is whether you're going to be prepared for this, for the transitions that take place. But you really don't have a choice. You... You just have to think about the fact that, hey, this, this is now changing, and, and this is you know, how we're going to deal with this. This is how we're going to deal with it. Uh, and I, I think sometimes you know, we need to realize that uh, the Nile is not just a river uh, in, in Egypt. Denial is, is a, a kind of a state of mind. You can go through life and kind of ignore things, but there are some things that we need to accept, and that's the way life's laid out. Now, I would say this one, one more thing before we leave this screen, and that is this, that if this is true, and it is obviously that that's the way life's laid out, then you want to make the most of the time you have here in your strength and in your prime, in your prime years, and I would say in your early years to influence your children for the kingdom of God and towards spiritual things. I think that that is a, a very useful and an important endeavor. Because God's not put you here just to see who's got the bigger house when we die. Or who's got the most stuff. God's put you here to raise children for the kingdom of God. And to be an influence in your home and in your community and in your church. And I, I think that's an important thing. And I think we cannot, we cannot underscore that enough. I think it's an important thing. And I think it's an important principle. And I think you would agree. Now... And again, now, this is not my main thrust here today, but I just want to revisit this because there are trusts that God has given to us, the trust of manhood. And we're going to talk about that this afternoon. I put a great emphasis on manhood and fatherhood and sonship because I think that that's where leadership begins. And there should never be a vacuum of leadership anywhere, in your home or in your uh, in your family, in the church, there should not be, there should be not in the nation a vacuum of good leadership. Because once, once people step back from the position of the leadership, there's a vacuum created. And into that, into that space will come forces that you don't want to have to deal with. So 
I, 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 here's Brother Branham, and he proclaims this in lots of ways, in lots of different seasons of his ministry, that the backbone of any nation is womanhood. And when it comes to morals, and you break motherhood, you've broken your nation. The whole, the whole idea of, of motherhood is, is a really, really important thing, just like the whole idea of fatherhood and, and the leadership that comes with it. It's all extremely important. And you cannot take it out. You cannot take it away. And expect the next generation to be raised correctly. I think we've pretty much proven that. Wouldn't you agree? That's not gone so well. Where, you know, we've decided that it takes a, a, a village to raise a child. Well, yeah, I mean, that's great if you have a supporting community around you. But initially, the way that God set it up, he didn't put 30 or 40 people in the Garden of Eden and then put two children there. Right? He put a husband and wife. And then there was children that came specifically from that union. And I think that that's the way that God intended it to be. Now, it's great if you have a community of, of uh, uh, you know, villagers around you and they're all kind of, you know, pulling on the, on the rope in the same way. That's all great. Uh, but as you know, these days, it doesn't always happen so fluidly as that, right? So uh, this whole idea of motherhood and, and uh, you know, family life is, is pretty important because, it is the cocoon out of which a new generation is born. I love this statement. At the moment a child is born, the mother is also born. She never existed before. The woman existed, but the mother never. A mother is something absolutely new. And once a mother, always a mother. You can never really take that away from a mother when she becomes that. Now, I, I want to just, again, just bear with me for a minute. David says in Psalm 101, I will sing of the mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. O wilt thou come unto me. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. That is David's petition to God to help him to have the wisdom that he needs to have in order to walk and to administer and to counsel and to guide his household in the right way. And he said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes, and I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. A forward heart shall depart from me, and I will not know a wicked person. So David is describing this because he knows that what I do affects the rest of my family. What I behave like, how I respond, affects the rest of my family. What gossip I pass on affects the rest of my family. What priorities I uh, embrace become, an Im- uh, become uh, important to my family. They become an example to my family, right? If you're the type of parents that put everything in front of church, an event comes up or, you know, a visitor comes up or something else, and, and whatever happens, you know, jolts us out of going to church, then your kids get a message, and especially, and God forbid, especially if we put things like, you know, what I would refer to as carnal activities, if we put a sports event before coming to church, you're sending your children a very strong message that says that in, the terms, in terms of priority, this matters more than this. And boy, I would not want to have to explain that one away to my kids. I, 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 but I mean, explaining to your kids is not later in life is not really the big problem. You understand what I'm saying? So David is is wanting; he's appealing to God that he would have the wisdom and, and the 
the judgment that's necessary in order to deal with these family correctly and to guide them. But he says, I know that it, 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 it also, uh, you know, comes from, it evolves from my heart as well. That I've got to have a sense of responsibility and I've got to have a sense of control. And I've got to have a sense of uh, priority in my life in order to engage the right things and then to bring my family along and lead my family into the right way. Because you know what? You never, you, never, you never get something from somebody by criticizing them because they lack it. Let's say it this way. I'll never create more faith in your heart by complaining that you don't have faith. If I got up here and chastise you because you don't have the faith and we prayed for somebody and they never got well, that would not increase your faith. I was, I've said this to many young pastors over the years that if you have somebody in your church who's here, okay, and the rest of the body is here, or let's say that your church is here, you take over a church and your church is here and the body is here, just for an example, the last thing you want to do is stand up here and yell down to those folks and say, you're not where you're supposed to be. You need to buck up and get with it and get with the program and come on up here where we all are. No, that's not the nature of sheep. What a shepherd needs to do is go down among those people and lead them up the hill. It's quite a different approach, isn't it? You'll never get from somebody by chastising them because they don't have it. You, you need to lead by example. And this is what, this is what David is, is telling here, that I, I have you know, a responsibility. I have people who are looking at me. I have a family. I have a, and eventually a nation that he's to lead. Just like Solomon when he prayed that God would give him wisdom to know how to deal with these people and uh, to lead them perfectly, give me the wisdom to do that. And God so honored that that he blessed Solomon's life for the rest of his days on the earth. And we still remember Solomon as being one of the wealthiest, most prosperous people uh, in all the history of, of mankind on the earth, right? And God so loved that when, when Solomon asked for that kind of wisdom. And, and so therefore, Brother Branham makes a mention of in the message resurrection. He said, before God sent Jesus to the earth, listen now, he sent an angel. Before God sent Jesus to the earth, he sent an angel. An angel came to a home, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they were great renowned believers. He, would, he said like Christians as to call, or real Christians as we would identify it. And, and that's the kind of home that an angel can get to. That's the kind of a home that an angel, sorry, and, and you know, I, I think today the reason we don't have more angelic visitations than we do, we, we, we who call ourselves Christians, he said we play cards half the night, or read the True Story magazines, have beer in the icebox. And that's the reason that angels don't visit us. You can't mix oil and water. So we have the responsibility as moms and dads. We have a responsibility to keep, to, to, to establish and to keep our home a place where the Holy Spirit's always welcome and angels would be welcome. Because there are times in your life you want him to come by. There are t- Listen, are, are you with me? There are times in your life when you want his direct presence to be right there. And you, you want to know that. And you want to experience that. And you want to, uh, you want to be close to him because of what you're going through. And here's Brother Branham said that there is a kind of a home that an angel will come to. And he said this was a kind of home that Zechariah and, and Elizabeth had. But I need you to understand that it's easy to read about this and how that, that happened way back there. Brother Mike Holloway sent me this quotation this week. 
And I had never seen this quite before. He said, in faith without works is dead. Now that morning, he, Brother Bram was re- referring to a testimony. He said, I said to Mita, the angel of the Lord is at the house now. He's come to be with us for maybe a day or an hour. I don't know how long he'll stay. You've got to stop and think about that. Imagine living in that kind of a realm where you have your family in the house and the angel of the Lord is in the house. We're not sure how long he's going to be around, but he's here now. And immediately she says, well, can I go get that little woman in New Albany who was, uh, you know, had a, a great need in her life? And Brother Bram says, well, if you get her up here. And then he goes on and tells a story about that. Imagine living in a, in, a, in a world where you're juggling. Here's my family out here, and over here is the angel of the Lord. We're not so long. I, I can go in the room, and maybe he'll be there, and maybe he'll not be there. Hey, listen, I say it again. Either Brother Bram was really right or he's really wrong. This is either really true or it's not. I tend to believe that it's true. I, I, and I would say this. I want my environment to be the kind of a place where an angel can come and stay for an hour or two or stay the whole day if he likes. I would like to have this church a place where, they, where an angel of God could come and take up residence here all day if he likes. I would like that. How many of you would like that? Well, let me tell you, you have a great part to play in that. Because this is not something that's back in the Old Testament days here. This is 1953. And I believe that it's still possible today that angels can come by. Let me go just a little further here. Paul writes the scripture. He says, therefore, it's a true saying that if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now, he doesn't just stop there. Because if a man has a calling in his life, you know, that's... That's one, that's one half of this whole thing. And it's a good thing for somebody to have a calling in their life. I'm glad we have people who have calling in their lives, aren't you? But anyone can get up and say they have a calling. The other part of this is very clearly laid out. He says if a man's got a calling and he's going to be a pastor, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own, uh, well, his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Are you getting the point that it's not just somebody getting up and saying they have a calling, but there's a life that goes with that. There's an order that goes with that. And, and there's a, you know, there's a, a kind of a, a characteristic about this home. This is a home that's, that's run a certain way, and it doesn't have the excesses that people in the world have. And so, therefore, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a responsibility that I have to take on. And I take that responsibility very seriously. Not always good at it. But I take it very seriously because it's written in Scripture that if I'm going to be a pastor, then there's certain behaviors I've got to exhibit, and there's certain behaviors I've got to control. And I will tell you that's not easy because ministers, especially high-profile ministers, have scrutiny that you don't know anything about. Just like Brother Branham had lots of scrutiny. Everybody looked at his... I've told you this story before. Let me just illustrate it this way. 
I talked to a brother up in Edmonton, Alberta years ago, and I, I talked to him. He was relating a story about how he came into a conversation where Brother Branham was standing there with a group of men uh, in a circle. And Brother Branham was just describing about STP oil. I think I told you before. And Brother Branham says, yeah, I always use STP oil. I said, I think it's the best. He said, it's absolutely, I never, I never go without it. He said, I always have STP oil. The brother came in when he heard that statement. And uh, he, he was a little surprised, you know, because he said, I never use STP oil. I don't like STP oil. But he, he never said anything. He was just listening to Brother Branham go on about STP oil. And after a while, he came to Brother Branham, you know, like months later, he came to Brother Branham and he said, I just want to tell you, I appreciated the tip about STP oil. He said, I changed my oil in my car and went to STP oil. And he said, I think it's been really good. Really, I, I notice it's not as dirty when I change it. And Brother Branham looked at him and he said, STP oil? He said, who told you to, that I said to use STP oil in your car? And he said, well, I came in in a conversation. You were talking to a group of brothers in the circle and you were describing STP oil. He said, I never use STP oil in my car. I always use it on my boots, my hunting boots. So he missed the first part of the conversation. He just came in on that tail end of it. Sometimes you can, all I'm saying is that, you know, people will hang on to things, and, and therefore you always have to be right. You, you have to, somebody texted me this morning and said that they were coming to church, coming to visit church, and I sent back a text that said, really? Now, I meant it, really? That's great. But as I, when I sent the, the picture, really, I was, I was thinking, wow, they may interpret that and say, really? <laughs> so I had to add something to that to make sure there was no misunderstanding. Everybody know what I mean? I get in trouble a lot. I mean, I... Not a brawler, not covetous. Can I tell you another story? Lo and behold, somebody decided that in our neighborhood, behind our house, they're going to put a great big tower for cell phone reception by our friends at Verizon. Great big one. 150, no, 200 feet, what did I tell you, 200 feet? 200 feet high above our house. Uh, you know, it's tall enough that they're going to have these flashing lights on it so planes don't hit it. So, you know, our neighbors are all riled up and they don't want to have it there. And there's, They're going to have a, a hearing in the town hall. The uh, uh, board of commissioners are going to have a hearing and... So my neighbor gets out, gets the petition. He's going door to door, comes to my door first. We signed it. We didn't want to have it there, you know. And, <clears throat> or if they want to have it, move it somewhere else out in the country where nobody lives. I mean, that, that was my point. You know, it's already been decided. But move it out where, where, you know, it's not as obvious in the community. We only got a little community. And uh, so I... Um, I, I kept in contact with him and chatted with him about it, and then the date for the hearing was coming up. Well, when you have a, a Verizon tower going in your backyard, you call your resident expert, right? So I called up Josh Godwin, who understands this stuff, and I said, Josh, tell me what I can say at this hearing if I have an opportunity to object. 
tell me what to say. Help me make sense of my argument. And he did. Gave me all kinds of great talking points and things I never knew about cell towers. And Josh knows everything there is to know about that. So he, I wrote it all down. And <clears throat> so <clears throat> my neighbor came over and said, are you going to go? He said, yeah, there's several of us going to go and, uh, to the meeting and just go along. And, and uh, I, I've, I've never been involved in a political process. I've had lots of in, invitations to do that, but I, I never have. And uh, so I, I decided, okay, if, I have, if, if I'm free that particular night, I'll go along. It was a Monday night, nothing else happening. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll go along. And, and we were there. And I noticed when we were there, not too many people were there, but there was a few milling around. And I noticed this one woman who was there in the lobby. She was really nice and friendly to everybody. Hi, how are you doing? Welcome. You know, good to, good to see you here. I didn't know who she was. And then she waited and waited and waited. And then we all went in. We had to sign the book. If we're going to say something, if you're go, if you wanted to make a comment, you had to sign your name on the paper, and then they would call you in the order on that paper, and you gave your you had a time limit, and you had like three minutes, and you had to make your argument in three minutes, and the people listened to you, and and then you went on. And I noticed this woman waited and waited until the very end. Everyone else had filed in, and when everybody else was in, I saw her. I looked back and I saw her, and she came along and signed her name on the bottom line. I didn't know what that meant. And so uh, we went in, and they called us in order, and I got up there, and I said, you may not know Josh Godwin, but let me tell you something. I've got this all figured out. And I wowed him with all the statistics and all, you know, all the different things about the tower and said, okay, you know, we're suggesting this and this. And our neighbors got up and said something. And uh, so when I was done, you know, in three minutes, imagine me speaking and concluding in three minutes. I mean, that's noteworthy in itself, right? So I, I take my seat, sit down, and then uh, at the end of it, they're going down through the list. They got everybody. It's only like seven or eight people in the audience. I mean, it's not, this is not a big process. And we come down at the end of the list, and they, the last person they called was this woman. And she gets up. She's an attorney for Verizon. And she's been to more than one hearing and knew that the person who had the last say gets the last say. And she got up and talked about these bumbling village idiots who live in Reiner. And she was from Richmond somewhere and <clears throat> talked about uh, how, hey, this is, this is a way of life. Hey, let's get with the program. Everybody has uh, cell towers. This is going to be really great for you and, and so forth. And went on and made this case for Verizon. Well, immediately <laughs> I put up my hand. And I said, can I respond to that? And the guy said, there's no responses. And she knew exactly how to play the game to get the last say. I said, you mean you can't, I can't say anything? I can't ask her any questions at what she, and, and comment on what she just said? And they said, put your hand down. And I realized this thing is already fixed. This thing is already done, right? It's not illegal. That's just the way the game is played. So then my neighbors, now, they're upset, right? <laughs> After it's over, because it's a done deal, they say, all right, who's in favor of this, the commissioners? Who's in favor of this? Uh, here, here it stands, you know. Uh, so let it be written, so let it be done. <laughs> and they go out in a chariot, and it's all over, you know. And I, I'm standing there saying, wow, what just happened? And uh, my neighbors are fuming, and they're looking at the appeal process and everything else. And I was like this, and the Holy Spirit just checked me. 
and said, we're going to leave it right there. Because I'm not called to be a striker. I'm not called to be a politician. I'm not called to be a brawler. I'm not called to get out there and try to change the laws. I just let it go. We're not happy. But there's a lot of things that happen in our time that don't always make us happy. Now, what I'm telling you is that it's really important for all of us to stay within our calling. Pastor has a calling, described very clearly. Pastor's wife, a father in a household, mother in a household. In our church, we have an order described. All of that is very important. And I want you to hang on to a couple of words here that I want to introduce to you. Paul writes in 2 Timothy, he says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night. This is Paul writing to Timothy, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which is an unhypocritical faith that you have which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. So there is something about Timothy's grandmother and mother that influenced him in a great way. They had a certain order, a certain law in their house, and it, there are, there's, there's an effect, and Paul acknowledges that. That there's an effect that they had on Timothy. And he says, I, I, I want you not to forget that. He says, I want you to call to remembrance that. And Brother Branham takes that and he says, Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift in him that come from his grandmother Lois. And then he describes in Hebrews 7 about how that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And Levi is credited with that still just being an attribute in the loins of Abraham. Right? And then Brother Branham comes down the second paragraph and says, Your life will impress your children and influence your children by the example you set before them. So you can't say, well, hey, listen, if they're born again, they'll follow, and, uh, you know, if whatever will be, will be. I want to just stop and say this. That is lazy theology. That is not biblical. And say, well, you know, I just dragged them to church, and, and uh, you know, hey, listen, if just dragging your kids to church is the answer, then by all means drag your kids to church. Right? But there's more to it than that. There's much more to it than that. It is not just by osmosis. It's not just by association that a, that a child is born again or has an experience with God. And, and he says, your life will impress your... Here's a 20th century prophet to 20th century believers, your life will impress your children and influence your children by the example you set before them. You have no guarantee as to how they're going to come out, but that's not, in the, that's not in the commission. The commission is that we have to set an example before them, period. Are we okay? I think it's a good thing that we put every effort we can before our children as godly parents. I think those are, those are good things for us to keep in mind. Now, again... <clears throat> As a family, we have a law in the house. We have an order in the house. We should. But I want you to think now just a little bit bigger than this. Through our nation, 
continually wade, though our nation continually wades in sin, Billy Graham's, Oral Roberts, Jack Schuler's, others go through the nation with great striking revivals. And this is in 1958. And Brother Branham recognizes what happened in 1957, a year ago, when the angel told him that America had sinned away its day of grace by rejecting the gospel as a nation. And he says, sin's on the march. And you can tell them because the devil has taken, you can tell them because the nation's taken over, uh, taken the nation over. The devil's taken the nation over. It come to us a few years ago. We li- he lived in Paris. I'm sorry, I'm not saying my words right because I'm, I'm working here. Let's do it again. You can't tell them, the people in our nation here, he says, because the devil has taken the nation over. Remember, this is 1958. Far as I know, far as I know, the devil's never taken his hands off the country. Right? Okay, so let's just keep that in mind. It came to us a few years ago. Satan came to us a few years ago. He lived in Paris, the devil and his angels, and they had World War I. And Germany would have sunk this nation, France. He's speaking of France here, not America, but this nation. Beneath the earth, but we went over to help them. And soon as it was over, it was back again. Wine, women, song, big time. So while the war was on, there was a discipline that was exercised there. And there was not so much, uh, you know, disposable income for all the partying that went on. But now he says that the war is over. He says as soon as it was over, it's back again. Because you know why? The devil is the, the one who's driving all of that entertainment and the fashions and everything else. But he's not driving it from Europe now. He's driving it from right here in our own country. He's pulled one over, and he's the one who's influencing this nation here. As a matter of fact, I mean, he says he's taken the nation over. The nations were his right from Matthew chapter 4, right? Stay with me. Second part of the quote. Then Satan sent his patterns over here. Hold on to that word, patterns. Stripped our women, brought disgrace to our nation through the patterns and the fashions. Now, where are those patterns being devised? Where are those patterns coming from? They're not coming from the kingdom of heaven. Right? Would you say the patterns of modern fashion are not coming from glory? They're coming from another kingdom. But he said he sent his patterns over here. He came over, brought his angels over, and the influence that, he, that, that uh, they bring with them, and the patterns over. And he says it, it, it caused a change in our women, women that once stood for uh, moral absolutes, and they, they had a decency and a morality about them, right? Come on, folks. Remember, you know, the pictures of, of Grandma and all, all, you know, the people in generations back. And they didn't have to be believers. They just kind of had a moral integrity and a moral soundness about them back in the day. And then he said he just took his army and landed in Hollywood. And many of you people wouldn't let your children go to picture shows and see such stuff. And the devil's smart. He brings it right in on television so you'd be sure to get it. So Satan's got an agenda. There are certain things he wants you to get. And he's going to do whatever it takes to make sure you get it. He's going to do an end run. I was telling our young people a couple of weeks ago on Sunday afternoon that now youth are moving at the speed of youth, which is much faster than the speed of parents, whether you like it or not. 
And so there's things that are moving there. Why? Because the devil knows his time is short, and he wants to make sure that uh, young people are exposed to things, even if there are certain, you know, boundaries or restrictions there. He's, his job is to do an end run around that, and, and if there's a new block that's there, do an end run around that. You should not be kidding yourself and thinking, hey, I got this under control. Our world is out of control. And if you want, if you want evidence of it, ask your kids and hope that they tell you the truth. That's the naked truth. He said God's anger is kindled against the nation. Well, you say, well, why doesn't, not that your kids would lie to you. But I will tell you that there's stuff that's happening that I'm learning that I'm, I'm just like, whoa. God's anger is kindled against the nation. This is 1958. You wonder then, why doesn't God shut it down? I'll tell you why God doesn't shut it down. is because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. I've mentioned that in two or three services now, and I want to just elaborate on it for a minute. Bear with me. We find that phrase found in Genesis chapter 15. And God is prophesying to Abraham. He's telling Abraham, listen, I want you to listen now just for a moment. Just focus in with me if you can. God's telling Abraham in advance that your seed is going to leave this land. You're going to be a stranger in another land. And, and they shall serve that stranger. And they shall afflict them 400 years. So this is not going to be a, a compatible thing. This is going to be an affliction. It's going to be a difficulty with rigor, with pain, discomfort. And also that nation, which we know was the children of Israel when the taskmasters came out and did all they did to the children of Israel. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And I will tell you this. You should never sin boldly. Because God will not, God will not withhold his judgment and his discipline forever. Don't sin boldly because God will not withhold or suspend his discipline and judgment forever. And this is what he's telling Abraham. That this nation that binds you, this nation, listen, that puts laws in place over my laws and puts its will over my will, when it comes to my people, I will judge them. And there will come a day when I will judge them. And there will be a marker in time to be a day when that cup is full and overflowing, and I'll step in, because even evil has its limits. I'm telling you that evil has its limits. And when it comes to binding my people, that nation whom they shall serve, and it, you remember what was the whole issue about Moses going into Pharaoh all the time? What, was he, what did he go in and say? Let my people go. Let my people go that they might worship. Remember that? And he said, I want to take all the children and all the cattle and oxen and we want to go and worship. Let my people go. Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let you go. So in other words, you have a power that's in place that's trying to bind God's people from fulfilling even the basic ordinances that God gave. Come on. And Pharaoh says, I don't care what God you serve. Because there's a Pharaoh that's raised up that knew not God. And he said, I really don't care what your God says. You're not going to go. God, you know, Moses steps back and there's another plague comes down. Pharaoh gets a little bit worried here and loosens up a little bit. And then he says, no, you're not going to go. I don't care who your God is, right? You know the story. 
And God's telling this to Abraham hundreds of years before it actually comes to pass. But I will judge them. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. There will be generations that will go past. But in that fourth generation, there shall come forth hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The Amorites were Canaan dwellers. Just so you're clear, the Amorites are Canaan dwellers. They're the people who lived in the promised land after Israel left. So when they crossed the river Jordan under Joshua and came back into the land, they ran into the Amorites. They ran into the Canaan dwellers. Are we okay? Now, I would just like to say this about that whole, that whole scenario. And I want you just to, just to lock in with me for a moment here and say this. That the greatest hope that the, the people of God have, the greatest hope that the Christian church has, is the second coming of Jesus Christ when he will take away his bride. And it will all culminate in the change of our body and we'll go to the marriage supper, right? That's, that's the basis of our hope. That's the reason why, uh, you know, that we, uh, we live and have the expectation that we have today because one day we know that's going to be a reality. But if we can know that, then we have a colliding interest that exists in the world today where Satan would certainly not want to see God's people go. But all of it is being held up until this particular, this particular requirement is fulfilled that the iniquity of the Amorites has to be fulfilled. God told Abraham that they would stay there until... Something happened in this land that God deemed to be evil to the point where he was going to cut things off. And he was going to disinherit the people. Listen, he's going to disinherit the Amorites who owned that land for at least 400 years. They squatted in that land for 400 years. Now, let's just pause. Who owns the land in the first place? God owns it. Who did he give it to? Abraham, it was Abraham and his seed, right? So it was their land. And the Israelites that are crossing back into that land, they're the owners of that land. So they're not taking a land from somebody. Listen, they're taking the land back because it's theirs by divine right. Are we okay? Now, I'll tell you what, when they came out of, listen, when they came out of Egypt under Pharaoh and all of what they went through, they came out as slaves, but they had to turn into overcomers in order to possess the land. So they had to go through this whole idea of transitioning in their minds from slaves to overcomers. Didn't they? Because when they came out, they were in bondage. When they came out, they had the scars on their backs from the whips of the taskmasters there. They knew what slavery was like. They knew They knew what it felt like to be under the bondage of a system that was contrary to the program of God. But when they got out, they had to realize they were free. And they truly were indeed now overcomers. Not because of what they did, but because of what God did for them and in them. Let me tell you something, saints of God. Listen to me carefully now. When I say this, if people still maintain an attitude of slavery... You always had to be reminding them that they're not slaves of sin. They're not, 
You're not in bondage to sin. You're not in bondage to the rudiments of the world. He constantly had to remind them of that. But I'll tell you what. When somebody really has an encounter with God and they realize that I am forgiven and I stand justified as though I never sinned in the first place and I'm an overcomer, not because of what I did, but because of what Christ has done for me as my substitute, there's something about the Spirit of Christ that connects with that person. And you don't have to always be digging them out of the pit. They realize we are sons and daughters of the living God. But let me ask you what is Satan's primary work is to try to hold you back so that God's people don't go free. And where does he work? He works right here and pulls people back with all kinds of temptations and all kinds of problems that they have. But God said, I'm going to disinherit this people from that land and I'm going to bring you back to your own land so that you can actually enjoy the land on your own. This is the promise that God was given to Abraham. So some of them probably would have wrote that down and, and put it on their phone, put it in their notes and kept it in there, kept it with them forever because that's a promise that, that we are going to be down here a long time and then eventually God's going to raise up a deliverer and we're going to go back to our land, it's our land and we're going to go back, praise God, one day it's going to happen and that generation rose up and, and they realized we are that generation now. We are the ones that are going to look death in the face and say death even has no tears for the blood-bought one. We are on our way to glory we're going to even overcome death itself and there's that generation that rose up but back at the ranch same same time that the children of israel are now recognizing that god sent to deliver moses there's something going on in canaan the canaanites they have laws and ordinances which are their own their own making, their own laws, their own customs, their own ways. And their customs become, without God, their customs become ungodly. So that the people of Israel, when they go into the land, they're not going to be able to participate in the activities of that land. They're not going to be able to enjoy that stuff that goes on in Canaan land. They're not going to enjoy the homosexuality and all the other stuff that, that exists in that. They're not, going to, they're not going to be able to walk in and integrate into that society. You know why? Because that's a society that's not godly that's a society that's not based on the word it's not based on you know godly principles it doesn't have a, a moral boundary at all uh, these are these are people there that god considers to be uh, evil because uh, you know this cup of iniquity and you know what iniquity is when you know to do right you don't do it you ignore what is right and you go do the impulses of the flesh you go do what feels good you go come on you go do what everybody else is doing and it doesn't matter what god's law says So we go from just practices and we just go from ideas and we go from just television shows to laws. Now, now, in that nation, they would have had laws that protected their Amorite ways. Don't tell me it doesn't happen. It's happened here. The stuff that was on the movies and the stuff that was in the programs and the stuff that was generating out of the media and out of Hollywood. Come on, folks. Don't go to sleep on me here. The stuff that was on the screen, only on the screen. And now we see it with regularity. And not only that, but we see laws protecting the lifestyle of the wicked and the evil. 
To the point where the people who once lived in a godly nation and have a godly heritage, which is what we, we possess, a godly heritage, right? Go back and read the stories of Patrick Henry and of, of uh, you know, George Washington and all the great men of God that, that lived in our time, that, that's, that uh, died on the field and, and, and got on the boats and pushed all that tea into the... It was a shame they did that, but they pushed all that tea into the, into the Boston Harbor and all the other sacrifices that they made. Let me tell you, we have a godly heritage, but now, come on, in our time, we have, we have a corrupt set of laws that protect the iniquity, which is contrary to God's own Bible. And people saying that, like the senator that I showed you, the clip that I showed you, when the senator said, uh, you know, the, the, the commandments of the Bible we have no, no, has no interest here. It has no place here. To the point where they say, look, your God doesn't matter. Your Bible doesn't matter. Your word doesn't matter. Let me tell you something, saints of God. This is not about just tipping statues over and taking statues of, of uh, you know, uh, Confederate generals out of the picture. They're trying to take God out of, the, out of the nation. They're trying to take the word out of the nation. They're trying to take the message out of the nation here. And God says, I put Malachi 4 right in your generation to turn you back to the principles and the ordinances and the commandments that I believe are important. And the ordinances of baptism and communion and all of that. I have established my ordinances again. I've reestablished them again with multiple signs and wonders in a nation from coast to coast. From one side of the nation, top to bottom. I've reestablished the fact that I'm not dead. I'm not lost in history. I'm alive and I live today. And my word is just as real today as it ever has been. And God reestablished His pattern again today. God laid down His pattern over the top of the pattern of this world. They're not just trying to get rid of Confederate general statues. They're trying to get rid of everything we hold sacred. So much so that they would easily be able to call what I'm doing this morning hate speech. We have lost our way as a nation. If they arrested me because of hate speech, we've lost our way as a nation. Where some, some preacher can get up and describe what, what the Bible actually means and what the Bible is actually talking about. They've accepted ordinances, customs, desires of the people, and put laws in place to protect them. To the place where, listen, to the place where, the intent is to bind the believer, to bind Christian people. What do you think that Equality Act is all about? It's not exactly playing in our favor. It's not exactly playing in the favor of the Jews in this nation right here. It is absolutely contrary to Christian principles. And it's all meant to bind you so that you're, you know, you're hardly allowed to come to church. And if you are, if you do come to church, you better be careful what you say. What spirit is that? I will tell you, the people that are streaming here, I'm sorry, but I will tell you that the days of streaming are numbered. They are. We have other ways. We have other methods. But... We don't want to put Jeremy out of a job, but we, we do have other ways. Because I will tell you what, no matter how much the laws try to restrict the physical part of what we believe, 
the gathering, the assemblies and so forth, or the distribution of messages, or how long do you think we're going to be able to print worldwide in every language for every country on earth? How long do you think that that's going to go on? Come on, in reality. To me, that's why we should do it and do it today and do it now because I see that door beginning to shut. I see that beginning to close. And don't be just whistling there and, and, and thinking, well, you know, that's just, that's just theory. It's not just theory. To me, the time is nigh. The time is now for us to do whatever we can to do that because Satan's job is to try to bind God's people and say, when, when God says, let my people go, Satan says, no, I'm not going to let you go. Let me tell you, the way to go to, the way to go free is through the word of the hour. It's through the light of the hour. It's through Christ that's portrayed through the message of the hour. How many of you would agree? If you can choke off the distribution of the message, if you can choke off the ability of people to see and read and understand the word for themselves. You've attempted to limit their freedom. When God saw that in Pharaoh's day, he prophesied to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. Verse 14, look at it on the board. And that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge them. But they have to come to a place. I'm telling you, we are moving quickly to that place where the iniquity of the Amorites is just about full. The ordinances, the laws that they put in place. Moses was even told by God in the book of Leviticus, after the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein he dwelt, shall he not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall you not do. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. Is anyone unclear? The stuff you did in the world you came out of, leave it there. Don't drag it into the message with you. Don't drag the music and junk of the world into the message here. We don't, that doesn't belong here. And when you come into the faith, just because, just because people watch, listen, a billion hours of YouTube every day, don't you try to bring stuff of the so-called Christian world into, into this. Do you understand what he's saying here? The land you came out of. And now the land I bring you into doesn't belong in my house. He shall do what? My judgments. And keep what? Mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. He shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. In other words, the bottom line is the way you are called to live is not found in the world you came out of or the world that surrounds you. The way you are to live is found in my word. The moment you try to bring something from the outside into that, you're going to wind up binding my people. You're going to wind up defiling the house. Don't do it. So you have to understand that what God is telling every one of us is that you cannot live like the world 
with a world around you that cares nothing about God and nothing about his word and nothing about, uh, you know, anything sacred, and then bring it in here and say, oh, you know, well, hey, I can hold a girl's hand and I can uh, kiss her a little bit or kiss her on the cheek and everything else. Hey, hey, show me your Bible verse for that. Show me where that's allowed. I can show you something different. Show me where that's allowed. Or say, you know, we'd like to have a woman preacher. Or we'd like to have a homosexual preacher. Or we'd like to have a double married preacher. Look, folks, I understand. I'm not stupid. I understand that if we wanted to have a bigger crowd, uh, we could say it differently. Right? But unfortunately, when I preach, it, when you, sometimes when you lay things down, you have all kinds of people hitting the unsubscribe button. But you tell me what this means if it doesn't mean what I just said it means. You shall therefore keep my statutes and judgments. You came out of somewhere. You're living in a, you're, you're trying to live a godly life in a very ungodly world. And that world, if it could, if it could, if you let down your guard for a minute, if, you, if something changes and, you, and it, 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 you let down your guard for a minute, the world is right there. It's a problem that zebras have. Zebras. Zebras. They say zebras are very, very well camouflaged. Camouflaged. Depending on where you're from. Really? There's nothing camouflaging about a zebra. I've seen them in the wild. You can see them a country mile off. There's nothing hidden about a zebra. There, you can see them everywhere. A lion is camouflaged, right? You've seen, have you seen lions in the wild? No. You live in a city. I've, see, I've, I've, I've had people point out lines. There's a lion over there. You know, he's, really? And, you know, then they move, and then you realize, wow, they're, they're so perfectly camouflaged. If you look at the pictures, I didn't need to show you pictures of it. Zebras are not camouflaged. <coughs> But if you ever notice zebras, and if you ever find a zebra, you'll never find just one. You'll find them in a pack. Because when they move in a pack, and all those lines... Now, they say that every uh, skin of a zebra is as unique as your fingerprint. So they recognize each other by the pattern and the shapes and the movements of their stripes. They know, ah, look, there's my Johnny over there, so get over here. And, and they know that. And they can readily recognize each other because they're all identified uniquely. There's no two zebras in the world that are alike. That's true. So, hang on. There's a point. When an animal looks at a pack of zebras, like a hundred zebras, and they're moving across the plains there, and, and a lion looks at it, he sees nothing but a blur because all these lines blend together. And he can't really distinguish one for the other because of the way his brain is. And he can't, he can't really see that clearly. So he's got to run into the middle of it and try to grab one of them, so hopefully. And as a result, many times zebras get away because they, they run in packs like that. And the movement in packs with all those stripes confuses an animal. That's their camouflage. Now, listen to me. So some brainwave biologists wanted to go over and study how this actually works in the minds of animals. So I saw a little film clip of biologists in a jeep with the big long net, you know, like John Wayne used in Hatari, 
John knows about that. And they were tracking through this big herd of zebras, and they grabbed one, and they took a long stick and dipped it in a bucket of red paint and slapped the leg of that zebra to identify it. Because when they were trying to study the zebra, they'd pick out one, and they'd look away, and, and they'd look back, and they couldn't find him. Immediately they couldn't find him because they so blended in. There was no way to identify this particular zebra. So they, they ran alongside the zebras, took this stick, and slapped the zebra with a bit of red paint so he had a red mark on his side. Well, now they could see it anywhere he went. He was dead in an hour. In one hour, he was dead. Every zebra they marked died within an hour. Think now. And then they quit. Because they realize once you put a distinguishing mark on that animal, it loses its ability to blend into the body. And that mark identified them. That paint identified them. They stood out. Let me tell you something. When Satan anoints anyone to say, I'm going to be outside the pack. I'm going to be outside the body. I'm going to do my own thing. There's a line waiting for that zebra. Young people think, well, I, you know, I don't need, I don't need this here. That's Old Testament, and I don't need that. And I, I don't have to listen to that. And I don't have to listen to what Brother Barry says about boys and girls, and I don't have to listen to what Brother Barry says about pay my tithes or whatever else. And all of a sudden, the devil will just, he'll just systematically move you outside the pack a little bit. And when you're not looking, he'll just splash you with red paint and let you go on your way. (laughs) And as a line can pick up that red paint very quickly. And all of a sudden, they've got problems that they never thought about. I'm telling you that everything waits until the Iniquity of the Amorites is full. And God has a line. And when this Amorite community reaches that line, God says, that's it. I'm going to shut it down. But it has to wait until then. So we sit here and say, well, why? Why doesn't God shut it down? Why doesn't God close it off? Why doesn't God you know, just stop the whole thing? Let me tell you, he will. It will be in his time. If we're here, if we're still here, there's a reason we're still here. And, and I will tell you what, you should take advantage of the reason that you're here. God is waiting till the iniquity of these modern Amorites is filled. Don't worry. He'll have his Moses ready at that time. Don't worry. There will be an exodus to the promised land. There will be a Moses come along and will call God out. In other words, Brother Bram's reassuring us it's not going to happen until this is fulfilled. But in the meantime, everything else that's supposed to happen will happen. You just get in sync with the program and don't get red paint on you. Are we okay? You get in line. Get in line with God's word. Get in there and blend in with the body of Christ so that Satan cannot pick you out and identify you. He said, sure, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. It will come one of these days. And let them destroy themselves. Let them destroy themselves. Civilization, knowledge, perverts, 
uh, God's word to suit their own taste. Every denomination is the same thing. Satan then preaches his own gospel of knowledge to them and so forth. I mean, it's all happening. I mean, you don't, we don't need to be brain surgeons to figure out that all of this is, is taking place. So God's got his Moses in place. Now, I'm going to leave you with this. We're not, we're not even back to Ezekiel 43. Sorry about that. Will you come back again? And we'll, we'll do it. We'll get to back to Ezekiel. Because I just want to leave you with this little thought. In Hebrews 11, as we've read, this first verse here is not really about Moses. It's about Moses' parents. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Now, if he was just born, Moses is not exhibiting faith. Are we okay? But his parents believed that somehow or another God was in this birth. God was in this whole thing happening. And they just knew something. And they saw that he was a proper child, special child, a child selected for something great. And they were not afraid of the king's commandment because a revelation will take away fear, right? Come on, folks. Don't, don't fade on me now. A revelation will take away fear. I'm going to stop in a minute here. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years. Now now Moses can exhibit faith because now he's come to years. He's grown up, and he realizes he's got a job to do. But at the first here, the first verse describes the faith of Moses' mother and his parents in making that basket and doing all of what they did. Are you ready? Follow this quote. It's the last quote I'm going to give you. Here was Moses' mother in the conflict of her test of faith. Moses' mother now was was chosen to go through a test. And every child, every son that cometh to God first must be tried. I was really struck by um, Brother McBride's statement on Wednesday night. Do you remember when he said he was going through a very tough trial and he said, I just need a break, I need to get away. And his wife turned to him and said, you mean this was not meant to be? Remember he said that? Every child goes through things. God tests your faith. Look like God could simply bypass the whole thing. But it's better that he gives you the test and then comes to you when you're in the test. It's, this is the best way. I will guarantee you, and I think Brother McBride alluded to this on Wednesday night, I'll guarantee you, if we were given a choice of the day's events, we would not tick the box that said you are now about to enter into the worst trial of your life. We'd let that box go. But it's better that you go through the trial and God comes to you in the trial. You know why? Because then you learn that whatever trial I go through, no matter how bad, I believe by faith God will come to me in the middle of this trial. And that's what you need to know. Because we're moving into a time when the iniquity of the Amorites is just about full. And the, the whole idea is to restrict your freedoms and your liberties and your rights. And you think, well, I'm going to appeal to Washington. Duh. That's where the laws have changed. I'm not against Washington. I still have representation up there. Family representation. But it's better that he gives you a test than comes to you when you're in the test. Period.
the greatest experiences of my life is when I come up a mountain against a mountain I can't get over, under, or around. Just stand still. And God will move the thing back. Say this with me. Stand still. Just don't, don't be afraid. Say it with me. Stand still. God will move the thing back. No matter how dark the cloud, faith pierces it yonder with an eye that looks beyond anything the devil can set before you. Because God is our victory. Say that. God is our victory. So what's God done? He's given you eyes to see beyond the trial, to focus on the God who is our victory, even while we're still in the battle. I've coined a phrase for what I'm doing this morning. This is what's called advanced basics. Listen now. Same quote. Even death itself has no terrors. Oh, death, where is thy sting? That's the faith that overcomes. The mom with her little baby in the basket by faith, moving by what? Not fear. She's got a revelation. She's putting that baby into the hands of God. She's laying it right on the bosom of Almighty God and saying, now it's yours. Every male child was thrown into the river as soon as it was born. Here stands the mother now knowing that he was a proper child. He was God's predestinated son. But God set it in order. Not a little hole that you have to go through and can't go no other way. In other words, she had a choice. She could have hid forever, hopefully. She had a choice. Not, not in a little hole that you have to go through and can't go no other way. But God, in order to be God, he knew the end from the beginning so he could predict it, and he set things in order to happen. What if she did not put that child in the basket? I will tell you this morning, I don't know. I don't know what would have happened. I don't know how God would have done it. But he would have done it, but I don't know how he would have done it. I just know how the story reads, and that is this, that she, her, and Amram, they had a choice. They had that we've got to do something. We, we just have to do something. We have no one to turn to in the community. We have no one legally to turn to. We, we don't have a whole lot of options here. The law says this. The, the reason the babies are thrown in the river is because of the law. Right? You have laws that are contrary to God's program that are in place. And now they have a choice. I'm not preaching civil insurrection this morning. Understand clearly, young people, I'm not telling you you should rise up against the, uh, the system and get a placard and go out there. I'm telling you don't do that. Even if they want to put a Verizon tower in your backyard, don't rise up against the, the world around you here. It's the world. And there's a point where you've got to let it go. You, you know what? <laughs> the world's falling apart. That's the, they play the game by different rules. I didn't even know the rules. And I believe if I needed to know the rules, God would have showed me the rules. But you know what? You have to take your hand off that and say, you know what? We'll leave that alone. Because you can get drawn in, and all of a sudden you turn around, and you got red paint all over you. Oh, I don't want to have red paint on me. Am I making sense? He was God's predestinated son. Now, if that's true, 
then do you believe are you, do you believe you're a predestinated son? You do? If you are, then there's somebody looking at you besides the whole church and me. There's somebody looking out for you besides you, me, and all these people here. you got somebody watching you even when you sleep. Not because of you're, you're a great guy, but because you're a predestinated son. If you know, if you know you're a predestinated son, you can go to bed with the insur- insurance that somebody's watching me. God set it in order. He didn't force you to do anything. He didn't force Jackson over here to do anything. But he'll put before Harrison choices here. and He can do this, he can do this, he can do something else. God doesn't push him through a hole and say, this is the way it's going to be, buddy. You don't have any say in it at all. When you put your life in God's hands, then God takes a measure of control over our lives. But he, there's certain choices that we've got to make. And God's arranged it that way. Just like God's arranged it so that people, parents get old and they have grandparents and then they, they go under the earth. And then there's kids that grow up who have, you know, their kids get married and they have grandkids and then they die. And that's the way God set it up. The way God set it up with Moses' mother is that she had a choice. But when she looked at it, now God had it all arranged. But she's got to make the choice and say, we're going to, this, look, this, God's doing something and we're not going to be bound by this system here so we're, we're going to build this little basket and we're going to put him out and we're going to entrust him into God's hands. I'll tell you what, that's a step of faith. No small step of faith. Why am I saying this to you? Because I believe that there's coming a season where we will probably have to make decisions. And that's why God told Ezekiel, he said, when you go in and I want you to hear the vision, and then I want you to write it down. I want you to tell the people and give them the writing of it so they don't forget it, so they they can remember the pattern. This is the way God does it. It's what the pattern says. When you know what the pattern says, you can always come back and check yourself and say, ah, this is supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to live this way. Ah, okay. Hey, let's be honest. Satan's pulling our minds all over the place, right? Satan's pulling your fears and your feelings and your, all your thoughts all over the place. And you have billions of people on social media pulling in another direction. It all happens to be in the same direction. But the Holy Spirit is also on the scene pulling you in the right direction. And he wants you to measure up. If you've never been baptized, this is what the pattern says. Right here. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the place to start. You look at somebody resisting water baptism, you think, you don't even need a revelation of that. It's staring you right in the face. Right? Brother Bram said you don't need a revelation of that. It's in the church age book. You don't need a revelation of water baptism. It's right there. It's, a, it's, it's, it's Acts 2. <laughs> so if the pattern says this, you judge yourself by the pattern. I will just say this. I believe that believers line their lives up by the pattern as best they possibly can. And they, you'll find them praying. Say, Lord, help me line my life up according to the pattern. Don't you parents pray for your kids that their lives will line up with the pattern? I pray for you all the time that we'll line up with the pattern. And if we follow the pattern, the path, the path it'll lead right to the gates of glory. I, I want you to know this morning, I'm committed to making sure you get to those gates. Even if I grow old, I don't think I'm going to die of old age. I really have never felt that. Don't, 
Don't make faces. This is not the time to make faces. I believe, I believe that even if I was not able, for some godforsaken reason, but if I was not able, I believe God would raise up somebody who was able to complete the journey. Either from among us or come in from outside or whatever else. But you know what? God is even more committed to you making it than you or me are. God is fully committed to you making it. You know why? Not because we're so great, but because you're predestinated. He was God's predestinated son. So no alligator could take him. No no fish in the river could take Moses. No uh, Egyptian soldier could take Moses there. He was a predestinated son. In other words, it's a done deal. God's got his uh, path. God's got his ticket to the very end. It's all done. It's, It's over, folks. So the only thing you can do on the journey is just rejoice that God's got this under control. In the middle of that experience, there's choices to be made. And God's not letting it stop until the cup of the iniquity of the Amorites is full and flowing over. And I'm suggesting to you that we're right there at the full cup. Because now we're seeing laws being passed that are truly contrary to God's ways. And there's more behind them. I hope I'm making sense. I'd like you to worship with me. Let's have our musicians come, if you will. God tells Ezekiel, he says, hey, you write this down and let, let the people see that this is not your writing. This is not your idea of, a, of an ideal church, but let, let them see the pattern. This is the law of the house. He says it twice in verse 12. This, this is the law of the house. This is the law of the house. This is my way. And if it's my way, then this is the best way. And he tells Ezekiel, say it, say it like this, write it down, and make sure the people hear and understand exactly what the law of the house is. Because one of the things that the people need to know is that they need a savior, they need a deliverer. And all of this is built in this magnificent tabernacle that we're making here. As one day God will tabernacle himself in a new way. Let's stand to our feet. hope I'm making a little bit of sense somehow in, in talking about the law of the house. Yeah, you're, what happens in your house matters. I will tell you, it really does matter. What God is doing on this bigger scale, what God is allowing to happen and what God is watching, he's not, he's not forgotten us. He's watching America. He's watching all of this, all of these things happen. I, will, I hope I don't surprise you in saying that God knows the outcome of elections even before the election. And, and he, he, God's watching it all just boom, 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 come to pass. Here you are right in the middle of it. And he gives us a little warning. He says, now, what you learned in Egypt, don't bring with you. And what you got going on in the world around you, don't bring it in here. My house is a separate place. My house has got a law associated with it. My house, only certain things can be brought in. Only certain things can be done in my house. We're not going to play bingo here. We're not going to make money here. This is not about that. This is about my presence among my people. That's what this is.
write it down, Ezekiel. Tell the people. And then he says, give them the pattern. We choose the fear of the Lord. Yes, we choose the fear of the Lord. For the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. Sing it now. We choose the fear Sing it personally now. Make it your prayer. Yes, Lord. And we choose the way of the Lord. Oh, we choose the way of the Lord. For the way of the Lord is the way. your choice today? Sing this now. Yes, we choose the word of the Lord. We choose the word of the Lord. For the word of the Lord shall Yes, we choose the word of the Lord. We choose the word of the Lord. For the word of the Lord shall endure forever. We choose the word of the Lord. Sing it this way. I choose the word of the Lord. I choose the word of the Lord. For the word of the Lord shall endure forever. I choose the word of the Lord. Sing it now that way in verse 2. I choose the way of the Lord. Yes, I choose the way of the Lord. For the way of the Lord is the way of wisdom. I choose the way. Of the world. You're all I want, you're all I need. Let's sing that this morning together now. Aren't you glad you came to the house of the Lord? I believe in this atmosphere good things can happen. And if you have a need today in your life, I'd be glad to pray with you. And it doesn't matter what that need is. You're in a place where the presence of God, who He answers every question, He can heal any disease, He can save any sinner. We're in the presence of a God who can do all of that. Your job, your job is to appeal to him. Your job is to ask him.
Draw me close to you. Closer, Lord, to you. And let this world around me fade away. Jesus, strong me close, closer, Just ring it out to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes, Jesus, draw me close. Closer, Lord, to you. And let this world around me fail.
your own anthem, your own prayer today. Yes, I'm gonna make it. He's already said that I would. I'll keep on trusting that He's working in for my good. He walks beside me and heaven is in my view. Oh, I'm gonna make 
your need now right there. We're going to sing one more little chorus, and then I want you just to hold that need, whatever it is. Listen, I just want to assure you this morning, I believe God's got his eye on you. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares about your next step. He cares about what you're struggling with. He cares about what you did wrong. Because he wants to help you not to make mistakes again. He cares about you in a great way, more than you'd ever know. Hold that upon your heart there. I want to, let's sing that little chorus. There's none like you and no one else can touch my heart like you do. And then I want to pray with you this morning. All right? There is none, none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all Eternity, Lord, and find there is none. Sing it now one more time. Take your need now. There's nobody like you, Lord. We let our needs go to you, O God. Father, search our hearts. Yes, Lord. And I could search for all eternity, Lord, and find there is none, none like you. Heavenly Father, as we bow our hearts in your presence today, how we give you thanks, Lord, for how you speak to us and how you reassure us that, Lord, in the middle of the journey. There's a faith test that's right there. And Lord, you don't take away those tests, but rather Lord, you choose for us to go through things, and then you come to us in the middle of it. Father, I, we rest upon that. How we thank you for that, Lord. And I, I know your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways, Lord. And We can never figure you out. We can never understand all of how much you love us, and you're trying to develop character in our lives. Lord, may the people today, Lord, may what they're carrying, the burdens that they bear. Lord, may they lay them down today at your feet. May they give them to you at your throne of mercy and grace. Lord, for every loved one, for every unsaved one, Lord, may they not have to carry that load of sin anymore, but, Father, may they lay that thing down and walk in newness of life and walk fearless in a world that's collapsing all around us, Lord. And you see the Amorites, you see the The people, Lord, that once knew God, knew God's principles, grew up hearing in schools about a God who is real, lived through the generation of a prophet in their land. And now, Lord, see the things that are taking place and how quickly it's all changing. Lord, I just pray that you would just reach down and just comfort every heart. Lord, I pray you give us the faith to make the next steps. May there be nothing in us that turns away from truth, turns away from correction, that turns away, Lord, from instruction and righteousness. But may there be everything in us that just cries out an amen, even if we don't understand. But we live in agreement with your word. We live in love with your word. Father, have your way, Lord, we pray. I ask your blessing upon the people. I pray that you would bless them richly today in everything that's done, in our conversation, our fellowship, Lord, our traveling, everything that's done. Father, may it just, may your glory rest upon the people. And Father, may, may you just 
Cause them, Lord, to say things to other people that they might know you. Have your way, Lord, we pray. We think of Brother Andy Irish today, Lord, and how we miss our Brother Andy and Sister Jen. Lord, I just now just ask that you would draw near to them in their moment of crisis. Father, I just pray that you would give Brother Andy and Sister Jen the right words to say, Lord, to mom and dad and their family. And Lord, when their hearts are open and their hearts are tender, and Lord, their minds are open to whatever good news they can hear, and Lord, you would put words in their mouth that they might say the right thing. Anoint them, I pray. Lord, give them comfort and give them just the, the knowledge of your presence in that whole, whole dark valley they're going through, Lord. I just commit them to you now. Pray that your mercy be extended to them. We ask these things, Lord, for them and for your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. You're all I want. You're all I need. It's in C, I think it is. Draw me close to you. Never let me go. Sing it, Jaren, if you will. I lay it all down again to hear you say that I
Cause nothing else could take your place Feel the warmth of your embrace Help me find a way Bring me back to you Love. 